So if everyone's got your Bible, you can start to open it up to Luke chapter 17. So last week, for those of us here, we've got to kind of catch up real quick. We had been where Jesus, in John, where Jesus had went and healed Lazarus. We all remember that. So we're going to start right off in verse Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Everybody got it? Luke chapter 17, verse 11. As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. So last week we had studied this. Jesus had just left Bethany. Now we're continuing on. Remember, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. But then after that, if you remember, he headed north. He spent some time there with his disciples, um, possibly his family. I've got a map here I can show you. There you go. You can see a little map there. Now we spent three weeks in John chapter 11, learning about Jesus' time that he had spent in Bethany, if you remember. We saw that he raised Lazarus from the dead, but we had, there's three main, t- kind of, through this series, I had three main topics. Remember? The request... The situation, and then the response. Now, through them three weeks, there was one main lesson in John chapter 11. What did Jesus, through this entire chapter, ask of us? One word. What was it? Come on. Believe. All three weeks, it came down to one word. Believe. So we want to believe even when everything around us seems impossible. Because that seemed impossible to raise Lazarus from the dead. But he still wanted their faith. Them still to count on him to know that he could do this. And so now we're going to pick up the story today in Luke chapter 17 verse 11. Which we just hear. And you can see the story continues as Jesus is preparing and traveling for his final journey. So I think it's a special time as we walk with Jesus. So let's just, I want you guys, I always say this, and I always say this, I want to get ourselves in the story. Just take a moment for a little context. I want you to imagine yourself in this story now. You're going to go on a week's walk. Are you ready? Full week. Are you excited to walk for an entire week? Maybe 12 miles a day through the desert? Because that's what they're doing, through the mountains. Now that's what Jesus and his disciples are doing. So I want just to, us to walk with him. Now you got to, not only are you walking for a week, but you got to get a little more context. Where's What's going on with Jesus? Where's he walking to? To Jerusalem. He's walking there knowing he's going to face the cross. This is it for Jesus. He's got like less than two weeks right now. So imagine you're in that story. You're on a week walk, walking with your friends. And you, you know you're going to die in a week and a half. This is what Jesus was facing. This is what was going on. Now, you know too that your friends that you're with, they're going to live on. You know that. Now, you also know that these are the ones, your closest friends, that is going to continue the ministry that you've started. They're going to continue to form the church that you were starting you got one week to live. You're walking with them. What advice or encouragement would you give 
to your closest friends and family if you knew you had one week to live. This is where Jesus is at. This is the situation. And he's got all the time in the world for this long walk to talk to them. It's like a 12-hour car ride for us. We can't get away. Imagine that, though. Seriously. One week to live. You're with your closest friends. What kind of conversations would you have? So let's join in in this story. And let's see what happens here in Jesus' last few weeks. Let's see what lessons he has for the disciples. Let's see what lessons he has for us in these last times. I, I know Jesus has probably got a lot he wanted to share with them. And a lot of lessons we can learn. So, Now, it's, it is interesting here as we start off in the verse 11. This previous week that kind of is out there that he spent up north in Galilee. The Bible really it gives no detail of it at all. When we left up last week, he had headed up north. All we know is we pick up now and he's heading back south. So we don't know what he did that whole time, but he knew his death was coming. So I, I mean, he went to his home area with the disciples, but nowhere in the Gospels does it say what he did. But I, I mean, I imagine knowing Jesus and what we've studied about Jesus, I think he probably took that time to go up there and visit his friends, visit his families for a few days before he made that very final journey back to Jerusalem. That's where, I don't know, I think that's just who Jesus was, that he would want to say goodbye and I think that continues as we see as he continues down. We know where he's going to go next, right? He's going to go back to Mary and Martha. So he, he takes and he stops by these people that he knows and he visits with them before his crucifixion. So I don't know. I, we don't know what he did during that week. We do know he was in Galilee. So I would assume he went up there maybe to say some goodbyes and maybe some encouragements. I don't know. But I know our God and I know Jesus and I know he loves people. I know he loves us. And I know he'd want to be with the people he loves. So... The God we serve is just compassionate. He's loving. He, he wants to take that time to love on each other, to love on his people. So I even know as he was facing that cross, I'm sure he took a moment just to say, I love you. Now today's text starts after Jesus has left Bethany, right? He headed north, spent a week up there with the people, don't know quite what he did. Now he's picking up the stories, he's heading south, back towards Jerusalem for the last time. Now, as they're heading down, just to give you a little context, it's only maybe two or three days into the journey, and this is where we're picking up, picking up the story today. This area that he stopped at, you look at that verse, it says he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. Now, you remember the last time he was in this area, what happened? I don't know if anyone remembers. Let's, let's turn just back a couple pages in Luke. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Through 54. I'm going to read that. As the time grew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set up for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to the Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. So this is the last time that's the response he got. Now, they're right in that general same area again, passing through that area. Now, if I was one of the disciples and I was walking with Jesus on a two-day, three-day journey here heading towards, and we're walking back through that same area, I don't know about you guys, I'd remember what happened last time. I'd be remembering the Samaritans. Remember, what did they say last time? What did the disciples want to do to the Samaritans after they refused to give them accommodations? 
Something like bring down fire and brimstone on them or something like that. I have to go back to the scripture and read it. But basically, like, hey, Lord, why don't we just call up some fire and burn them up? That was kind of their response. Now they're back in that same area, right? And so I know I would be thinking of it, and I'd be like, I, I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm not kind of same as the disciples. I'd be, well, remember last time? Maybe we could uh, give them a taste, and they'd remember who they're messing with, with Jesus here. But thank goodness it's not me there. So let's look at verse 12. Back to Luke, chapter 17, verse 12 and 13. As he, Jesus, entered the village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance. Crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Can you imagine that? Imagine what the disciples are thinking now. Now, you don't think it was the same village, do you? I don't know. We don't know which village it was. It's not too big of an area. Somewhere close for sure. We're not sure. But these ten lepers who... You think about this. All these ten lepers were surely from very different backgrounds. Right? They're probably living in a little colony because they were all outcast. Um, but here you look at that scripture. They all come together in a cry. A cry to Jesus. Because now they had something in common. They have come together hoping Jesus would have mercy on them. They were united in their need. A need for Jesus. I can see a little lesson right there for us, just in that little statement right there, what these guys did. Maybe we need to come together a little more like these lepers, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. One commentary I read gave a great description of these ten men coming together, and I'd like to share it with you. A common misfortune had broken down, and their racial and national barriers, in the common tragedy of their leprosy, they had forgotten... They were Jews and Samaritans. And remembered only they were men in need. That's Barclay. I just thought that was an amazing truth to imagine these ten lepers coming in. So now we've seen these men crying out to Jesus. What do you think Jesus is going to do? Let's look. Verse 14. He looked at them and said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went... They were cleansed of their leprosy. There's a lot there. Did Jesus heal them? No. no, not right there. He didn't. Or did he ask them to do something first? Yeah, he heard their cries. Jesus heard their heard their request. He heard their cries, and he responded to these ten lepers. He said, "Go." The men had a choice now, right? They had a choice either to obey Jesus' request to go to the priests, or they could have continued there crying out to Jesus, begging him for help. This is kind of decision time. Go was not, I'm sure, what they were hoping for when they were crying out to Jesus. But you do see here in this scripture, they did obey in faith. They went. So think about this. Just kind of take a pause in that story. About Let's look at Levitical law just a second. Once you were healed of leprosy, if you go, we're not going to go there, turn there, but you, in Leviticus chapter 14, um, it was written 1,400 years before this story. And it required a person that believed they were healed of leprosy to go to the priest for certain offerings, uh, inspections. They would inspect their skin. They had to go stay out for a week, come back. Um, there's 
This was a prescription for how to worship the Lord and give thanks if you were cured of an incurable disease. If you look through the Old Testament, there's only a handful of occurrences where leprosy was actually cured. But yet this provision in the Levitical law was given to us 1,400 years beforehand for an incurable disease that was never been healed, except for a few, couple little rare occasions, but I think it might even be before the law. So think about that. God knew this before. He knew this when he wrote the law. He had a provision in there for a miracle that Jesus was going to perform 1,400 years later. Isn't that amazing? I find that, I found that amazing. Let's get back to the story. So imagine these men, they're going to the priest, right? And these men now are showing up to the priest, asking them to confirm, is what they were doing, what God had done in their life, what Jesus had done. I, I'm sure this was very awkward for the priests. I mean, they didn't even know what to do. They've never seen this. They've never dealt with this. It's not. It's completely uncommon. I mean, imagine that happening today. It'd be. It, I would love to take this Bible stories and just take them to our text. Imagine right now that door opens up and ten men walk in here and say, "We, it's praise time. I want to get praise. God has healed us of leprosy. It's a real problem in this country. I've been to the hospitals. It's. What would you do?" Do we all gather around and lay hands on them and thank God? It would be different. It would be a very unique situation. And these men have just claimed that they've been healed of an incurable disease. And they're, they're saying, look at my skin. Look at what God has done. Here's my offerings. Um, there's different offerings they had to give for this. But this is unheard of. Probably made no sense. I'm sure they're like, there was rules they had to follow for it. I don't think, I bet you the priest didn't even know it. They had to get the scrolls out and open it up and review, like, what do we do? It's unheard of. These men had been healed of the worst disease of the time, and even comparable today. They had been, you know, removed from their families. They have been abused. They have been, I mean, they were hurting. They were, you know, looked down upon. They were shamed. But now, they're given a new chance, a new beginning, a new life. Jesus has done this for them. They would now be able to go back to their homes. They'd be back to their families, back to their old professions, back into their community. They would no longer be shamed. They would be free from this sickness. Amazing. But what do we see? These ten men responded to Jesus in faith. They went. They, they didn't, they didn't even, it didn't show they even asked any questions. He said, go. They went. These men should inspire us to follow this example given. Is our trust and faith in Jesus enough that we will just do what he asks because he asked you? Even before you can see any results of what he's asked, what you've asked for. Or is your actions like this? Do for me. Well, if you do this for me, I will do what you ask for. I'm so guilty sometimes kind of having that heart. I will admit. If you do this for me, Lord, I will praise you. I will respond to you if you will do this for me. How about I respond to him first? Jesus has already done enough, hasn't he? He's done enough to be worthy of our praise and our faith. He doesn't need to do anything else. He's already done it. I think that's important. The question I ask with this is, what is your faith based on? What Jesus already did for you? 
or what you hope Jesus will do for you in your life today. Let's see what these men are going to do. What would you do if you were just cured of an incurable disease by the Lord? What would you do? What would your response be to God? Look at verses 15 and 16. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus, shouting, Praise God! He fell on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. One in ten odds. It's not very good odds, is it? Jesus heard ten cries. He heard ten men. He healed ten men. He did what they had asked of him. It's true they responded in faith, but he responded to each one of their cries. What do you think the odds are today? How many people cry out each day to God? How many prayers does Jesus answer each day, today? How many people come back to Jesus after they receive their answer to their prayers like this one man? Praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking Him for what He had done. Are you ready? Here's the the real question. Here's the application. How many prayers have you brought to Jesus this week yourself? How many has He answered? How many times have you praised God and fell to the ground at Jesus' thanking Him for what He's done in your life. Are you like the nine men? Or are you like the one? When I wrote this, and I asked that question, I had to think about an hour break. Because, I tell you, more common than nine, I'm probably like the nine men. And He answers all my prayers, by the way, is the answer to that. Maybe I don't know it or understand it or see it, but he answers all my prayers. How often do I come back to him and thanks? Not just thanks, this man fell at his feet. Look at the end of verse 16. You see that verse? There's a reminder that one who came back and worshipped him was a person that would have despised the Jews the most. There's another little lesson in there for us there. The one that truly came back and surrendered his life is the one that was despised. It's like Walwa shared about that young man. Different story, but a similar type of thing. Let's see Jesus' response to this situation in verses 17 and 18. Jesus asked, Didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except for this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, Stand up and go. Your faith is healed. You've got a little ahead. 17-18. You can always find a good reason to give gratitude to God. I was... In our family, one of the things that we do is each time we pray, we go around the table and we give one thing we're grateful for. And sometimes it's really difficult and I was thinking, as this man gave thanks and gave gratitude, and I was reading some different things, I was reading one commentary about, you know, 
what to give gratitude and what to give thanks on. And, uh, Matthew Henry, many of you are probably familiar with him as a commentary. Uh, he's a very famous commentary. And he tells this story. He said he was robbed of his wallet once. And that night when he wrote in his diary, he wrote all the things that he was thankful for. Which is a great habit for all of us, to write down the things you're thankful for. Now he got his wallet stolen that day. So he started off with this list. He said the first thing is, he said he thanked God that he'd never been robbed before. And then he said, the second thing is, they only took my wallet, not my life. So thank you, God. And the third, because they took it, they took all my money, but thank God it wasn't very much anyways. <laughs> and finally, he thanked God because he was the one that was robbed. And he was not the one to do the robbing. So you see Matthew Henry, he had something to praise God in a robbery for. There's so much more we have to praise God. And He wants to hear our praises. He wants to hear from us. Listen, look at that scripture. He says, has no one returned to give glory to God? So let's continue. We kind of started in 19. I'm going to read that. And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Jesus has given proof of who he is to the ten men. But it was only one that had came back. Came back to surrender. To acknowledge Jesus. I think these facts, these one in ten odds, are probably just as true today. Unfortunately, sometimes in my own life. Just a strange question. Think about it. Ten men cried out, right? How many did Jesus not answer, knowing only one would come back and surrender his life? You see what I'm saying there? Ten men came to Jesus. They cried out to the Lord. Jesus knew that only one would come back. But still, what was his response to the ten men? What did he do for this one man, though? What do you see? Look at that scripture. What word is used? Healed. Look back at the verse when Jesus healed the man of leprosy. What word was that? Cleansed. Probably different Bible translations have different, some different words. Two different words. I looked it up in the Greek. Read some commentaries on it. One is really physical. One is spiritual, if you look at the original language. One was temporary, one was eternal. And this man, just as the other ten were, was healed physically. But because of his faith and surrender to Jesus, he also received the greatest gift, the forgiveness of his sins and eternal life. Now let's transition into this kind of next section that we're going to study today, given us by Luke. Look at verses 20 and 21. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, When will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, The kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, Here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. As we start looking at these passages, I think we could ask a few quick questions. First, what is the kingdom of God? Second question, what does it, you know, what does it mean, or what also, what, what does it mean for it to come, as you see in that scripture? As we continue on, you guys will be able to answer that. I want you guys to be able to answer that yourselves as we go through these passages. So these Jewish leaders, they had an expectation. They have an expectation of what they thought of the Messiah, and what he would do when he would come. And when they're asking, they're examining Jesus. They really it was with a little bit of hostility. They're, but they're looking for answers from him. They expected the Messiah to come, 
But they kind of, when they expected the Messiah to come, they expected a big deal, like fire and lightning. He was going to come down. He was going to destroy their enemies. He was, you know, he was going to be their savior. Um, the fight was on, they thought. But they were a little bit off, just a bit. Jesus, it's true, they had this part right. Jesus was there to destroy their enemy. That was absolutely true. But this enemy was not Rome. It was sin and death. The leaders were basically challenging Jesus here, saying, If you are the Messiah, bring it. Are you the Messiah or not? Let's see it. These men were asking questions like this, kind of, unfortunately, is reminded a little bit of myself in my past, especially when I was not saved. I would, you know, maybe ask for something from God. Prove it. Prove who you are. And yet, each time I asked Looking back, I didn't realize he'd already given me all them things I was asking for. They were already standing there. I just need to accept them. Jesus was standing right there with them. And these men were asking when he was going to show up. And there he's standing there with them. And they didn't even see that Jesus was, the Messiah was with them. Do you look in the text. Do you see that Jesus defines in these scriptures who he is? He also gives a little bit of definition of who he's not to these leaders. We see that who he is is Jesus is everywhere at all times. He's among us now, just as he was then. No, I just, I find it awesome that Jesus is here now and he's always been. Just the same as this story that we read in these times and the same as today. Because for me, I searched for Jesus for a long time. I was searching for God. I was looking for him. Everywhere. Where are you, God? Where are you in this situation? Where were you in that situation? Yet the whole time, all I had to do was stop. Just take a minute. He was right there with me the entire time. All I had to do was just say, here I am, Lord. He was there. I just didn't see him. I didn't understand. Jesus is waiting for me to respond in faith. Let's look at verses 22 through 25. Then he said to the disciples, The time is coming when you will long to see the day when the Son of Man returns, but you won't see it. People will tell you, Look, there is the Son of Man, or here he is, but don't go out and follow them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other, so it will be on that day when the Son of Man comes. But for the... But first, the Son of Man was suffered terribly and be rejected by this generation. After Jesus has been asked about the kingdom of God coming, he answers these religious leaders. He turns now to the disciples and he wants to talk to them about searching for him and his return because he knew he was leaving soon. He knew the disciples. And us, at some point in our life, would be searching out Jesus. We would long for Jesus to come back, as he's promised. But we, he also knew that Satan would try to take, care, take advantage of this situation, this longing in our heart for Jesus to come. And he would place false messiahs in our world, that people in their hope and their longing would unfortunately look to these false messiahs. So Jesus, he makes sure that we can all know here, through here, how we can tell it's Him. The second coming, it won't be a secret. When Jesus comes, it's not going to be a secret. 
Um, you know, maybe some people will try to explain it away in some way, or but everyone will know what happened. This will not happen behind closed doors. There will not be some exclusive group of people that will only know about it. It will be known to all. All will have knowledge of it when Jesus comes back. They may make excuses, but all will know. Now, many people have claimed to be the Messiah. Many people are still going to claim to be the Messiah. But Jesus is clear in this morning, do not follow these teachers. Uh, Chuck Smith, he was one of my senior, my senior pastor, very much senior pastor, he said it this way, it will be like lightning, lighting up the whole sky. He, I put in there Jesus, will come in judgment, gathering everyone in the world to be divided between those who have accepted him and those who haven't. The righteous will enter his glorious kingdom, while the unrighteous will go to the place of judgment. Of course, we will be taken away in the rapture before this time of judgment arrives. Amazing truths there. Look at look at verse 25. I want to look at one word kind of there before we move on. Do you see in verse 25 the word must? You see it in there? You find it? Must. The Son of Man, Jesus, must suffer terribly and be rejected by this generation. This had to happen. Why? It had to happen for each one of us. For each one of us to have our sins paid for. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for doing this. I mean, I just read that and I just remind me again what Jesus has done for you. He says he had to do it. He must die on that cross. So thank you, Lord. Continue here with verse 26 through 27. When the Son of Man returns, he will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days, the people enjoyed banquets and parties and weddings. Right up to the time Noah entered into his boat, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Jesus has kind of changed the topic just a little bit here, right? I mean, same kind of general, but he, he's from teaching on how he was he will come is what he's teaching. Now he's going to teach on what it will be like when he comes. So a little bit different, but he's going to use two examples to show us what it will be like when he comes. This first one we see is referring to the days of Noah and the situation that was going on there. He's telling us of the condition of the world when he will return. The condition of the world will be business like usual. Just like in Noah's days. Everybody was going about their day, right? Going about, talking about that crazy Noah, them crazy Christians, right? Then all of a sudden, what happened? A few drops of rain for the first time. And then the people, they like looked around and wondering what was happening. But it was too late. But all of them before that was just going about their normal lives. Let's look at the second example he gives us in verses 28 through 32. It will be, and the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. People went about their daily business, eating and drinking, buying and selling, farming and building, until the morning Lot left Sodom. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual, right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, a person would go out on a deck of a roof, must not go down to the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return home. Remember what happened to Lot's wife. We'll stop right there for a second. Here's a second example that Jesus uses of what it will be like on his second coming. He uses his example of Lot. 
Jesus is clear this coming, it will be very unexpected. And he uses this example. He tells us also that how to save our lives and continues to talk about his second coming. But then he transfers into remember about Lot's wife. So let's take a minute and just talk about that little situation there. Remember what happened to Lot's wife? She was saved. She was heading out. Then she turned back. She had made it out. I think there's a correlation between even some of the people here today. Like Lot's wife running from the old life. Running from that old life. And now running with her husband to this new life in Jesus. Now just, we see she was tempted. And she turned back. Instead of looking forward to where God was going to lead them, to looking forward to what God had promised, she turned back. She turned back her heart to the past. Now some here may even follow that example. Don't look back. Only look forward to what Jesus has promised you, running into his outstretched arms. I think there's some here that's made it all the way here today in this fellowship, sitting in one of these nice blue chairs, that have came this far to make it in these doors today. Don't miss this opportunity. Don't look back. Don't, don't refuse this free gift of having all your wrongdoings, your sins forgiving forever, and knowing where you'll spend your eternity in heaven. You've made it all the way here today. Don't miss this opportunity. Make that commitment today to follow Jesus. Receive Jesus into your heart. If you're sitting in this chair, God has put you here today. He's called you here. Don't miss this. If you, I mean, if we've accepted Jesus in our Savior, like Noah and Lot, Remember, as we're talking about this second coming and these judgments and these things that's happened, the flood and the burning of the cities, remember, they all made it out. They were saved. Just as we will be. We will be removed before this judgment is being poured out. Verse 33. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. And if you let your life go, you will save it. What does that mean? Clinging to one's life. I was reading, kind of trying to see what that means. There's many ways we can do that, isn't there? Not just one. I think materialism is one way we could do that. We could hold on to that. You can say, I want it. You could work hard. Um, you can see that um, that's your main goal in life. You could say, individualism. I work hard for me. Maybe skepticism. Anything that I'm not convinced about can't be important. There's a lot of ways we can cling to our beliefs or to our lives. There's so many different ways. We've gone for a long time. But we must let go of all these things of these worlds. Let go of our rude lives if we want to gain a life eternally. Now Jesus is going to give us some more examples as his second coming as we look through 34 and 35. That night, two people will be asleep in one bed. One will be taken, the other one left. Two women will be grinding flour together at the mill, and one will be taken, and the other one left. See this picture Jesus is painting in our minds? He's painting a picture so we can understand what will happen. 
that we will understand that only those who believe will be taken. I want to turn to 1 Thessalonians. Look at a verse here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven and commanding shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of the God. First the believers who have died will rise from the graves, then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Are we ready for that? What about those around us? Those are friends and our family. Are they ready? What The question is then is, I'm sure we can all say we know people that are not ready. Can it be friends or family or people we need? What are we going to do to change that for them? What are we going to do to help them prepare? Let's turn back. Let's look at our last verse for today. Verse 37. Where will this happen, Lord? The disciples asked. Jesus replied, Just as the gathering of the vultures show there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. The disciples, they've heard of all this. They've heard of Jesus' teaching. And, you know, I can't blame them. They hear of all this, and they're like, when's this going to happen? I mean, it seems like a logical question I would ask if I just heard about all this. And yet, Jesus used basically what I see as a common pro proverb or a figure of speech of the day to answer their question. Which simply means one sign of his coming may not necessarily be that critical. But when you see many, many signs occurring, Jesus, his second coming is nearing. It's coming. How many signs do we see today? We see more and more and more. What do they point to? They're pointing to his second coming. One thing is for sure, when Jesus does come, no one will need to spread, spread the message. Everyone will know what happened. We don't know exactly when the rapture is going to take place, but each day, Jesus is clear here, we should live that it could be as tomorrow. We should live that Jesus could draw us up at any time and be ready. So as we close out here, I just want to look at three points. The first story we talked about there. How do we give glory to God? We saw the one of the ten came back. How do we do that in our lives? We can see that Jesus notices through this story that he wants praise. And he wants to be glorified. He wants our praise. So how do we do that each and every day? As I think about that question, we can only each answer. Sometimes I have to think about opposites. What's the opposite of praising the Lord? What's the opposite of giving glory to the Lord? What's my days look like? Are we doing this each day? The second point was the questions we asked. What is the kingdom of God and what does it mean for it to come? The kingdom of God is already among you. Remember, it was in the, it was in the verse. It's Jesus. Jesus is here with all of us, living in us. And he lives in every single person that will turn to faith in him. Now what did Jesus mean when he said, when the Son of Man returns? And what, also with that, what to look for in Jesus' second coming? We see many warnings as we looked at this scripture. 
Um, we also learned the lesson that we're to live as Jesus was coming tomorrow, that the rapture could happen any day. And we saw that we should be looking for many signs. So it's true, at some point we will be drawn up in a rapture, which will lead to his second coming. Um, I'm not going to get too much into the, how that all works out tonight. But the point is today is that there is a time where it will be too late. And that rapture is coming. And Jesus said, prepare for that. Seek me out. He's also warning, though, that many people will come as false prophets. And we see them currently right in our own time. But as we read the scriptures, they should be able to give us a guideline on how we can know that they are false prophets. So as the, wor as the worship team can head up, I'd like to close here with a, however Gardner will lead us. <laughs> and I'd just like to pray real quick. And uh, we can go out into our weeks uh, ready to glorify God. So please join me in prayer as the worship team heads up. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for these words, Lord. As I, I read these and I hear this man, this one man that came back to you, Lord, and glorified you and fell on his face, Lord, before you, Lord. Lord, let that be me, because, Lord, as I pray each day, Lord, I pray and I cry out to you with all these different prayers, Lord. But, Lord, do I come back to you, Lord, and thank you, Lord, and give you praise for all the things that you have done. As I heard these two ladies do today, Lord, that was praise, Lord. That was just amazing, Lord. But we just see and we thank you, Lord. Lord, but we need to do so much more of that, Lord. We love you so much, Lord, and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for everything you've done in our lives, Lord. Lord, as we see you talking to the disciples here, Lord, telling them, uh, Lord, that you're coming again. That you're coming back for your, for us, for them. Lord, we'll just continue to watch for that. We'll continue to live our lives in a manner that maybe it'll be tomorrow, Lord. And knowing that it could be tomorrow, Lord, we want to live our lives in a way that others also could join us in that. Lord, we just thank you, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that there's many out there that there are false prophets out there, Lord. There's many followers of these false prophets, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that you reveal truth to the people's hearts that are following this, Lord. And they would turn to you, Lord. They would turn away from these cults, turn away from these false prophets, Lord. And they would turn to you, Lord. So, Lord, we wait with expectation, Lord. We wait with a loving heart, Lord, upon your return, Lord. And we just rest on these promises, Lord, that you are coming back, Lord. So we love you so much, Lord, and we give you the glory today. In Jesus' name, amen.